0: Hello everyone. Um, this is Gary Scheffer, and I'm here with Mike Fernandez. Mike, how are you?
1: Good morning. How are you doing, Gary?
0: I- I'm doing well. Yankees have won a few games. I'm feeling much better. That <laughs> knot in my stomach has gone away. Today, we're really lucky. Peter Evis, who's a highly respected business reporter covering companies and markets for the New York Times, is with us to discuss executive compensation and corporate profits. I know that's of interest to all of you and something that those of us in our profession spend a lot of time thinking about and working on. Peter's been with The Times since 2012 and before that with The Wall Street Journal, fortune and theStreet.com. At The Street, Peter won a Globe Award, which is a highly prestigious award in business journalism for commentary in 2005 for articles spelling out the accounting troubles at Fannie Mae, before they were on regulators' radar screen. The subject of Peter's reporting recently on CEO pay is of course top of mind for CCOs and CEOs. Back in June, Peter wrote a piece titled How Elon Musk Helped Lift the Ceiling on CEO Pay, which we will discuss with Peter. That caught our attention and we asked him to help us dive into the issues that emerge from his reporting. By the way, Peter's article is based on a survey done for the Times by Equilar, which is a compensation consulting firm. It showed that, get this, the average compensation for the top 10 highest paid CEOs in 2021 was $330 million. That's the highest ever. What interested me and and Mike about Peter's story was of course that eye-opening number but also the rationale provided by companies for these pay packages. Mike and I and our listeners are students of how best to express CEO pay clearly, simply, and persuasively. And I thought it would be interesting to talk with a journalist on the receiving side of those communications. Welcome to the crux, Peter.
2: good to be here
0: so the topic of ceo pay certainly isn't new much discussed for many years and whether you're defending it or criticizing it it's something that earns a lot of inches in newspapers and magazines etc but your your article peter really was interesting to me because as i say it describes how elon musk's 2018 huge pay package has taken CEO pay to new levels. Could you tell us more about what you found in your reporting, specifically why Musk's package has elevated CEO pay?
2: Yes, the the important thing to understand at the outset, which you guys know, is these very big numbers. If you see like a CEO these days with a compensation package uh, worth say three hundred million dollars. That is going to be almost entirely stock. Mm -hmm. Stock that he or she will get in the future, either as a result of performance, hitting performance goals, or just by staying at, at the company. And the reason that Elon Musk's big pay package from 2018 kind of upended things was that Tesla's board set what they thought was a very um, demanding compensation package. It said that Mr. Musk would only get stock if certain performance targets were achieved. Those included business operating metrics as well as stock price targets. And he hit them. So he got all the stock effectively in the package. But what was very what was different about it, according to compensation experts, was that there was so much stock given out for hitting those targets. And that's what changed. And then you started to see, you know, copycat versions of that in other pay packages in the following years, particularly in 2021.
1: So listeners who are familiar with this topic and are Readers of company proxies, they know that reported CEO compensation often includes what CEOs could receive if the stock value, as you were just talking about, of their companies continues to rise. The converse is true too. I mean, for instance, a plunge in Tesla's share price uh, could actually diminish the value of Musk's package. Indeed, uh, what CEOs are actually paid in a given year is kind of at the heart of many discussions. Uh, I I know that uh, a lot of corporate chief communications officers, uh, as well as reporters during proxy season, you know, try to struggle with this to better understand what is the actual compensation. And for example, Amazon's CEO, Andy Jassy, in 2021 reported uh income was 213 million dollars in response the spokesperson for amazon told you the way the sec rules work we are required to report that grant as total compensation for 2021 when in reality it will be available to be paid out over the next 10 years starting in 2023 Peter, is, is that right? Is that fair to measure and report annual CEO pay this way? And, and as you've looked over this through the years, what should go into an explanation around these compensation packages. We know executive comp experts try to discern what is comparable data and how a company's comp matches up with peer companies, as well as finding a mix of inputs and conditions to better assure that somehow pay is aligning with performance. So what's fair? What should happen here?
2: I mean, I hate to say this, but every pay package is different. And so yeah. that should determine how it's described. And while there are some confines in terms of how you can describe it, you know, in, in in official company filings, companies have significant leeway in just saying what would get paid out under different circumstances. Now, the 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 Andrew Jass Andy Jassy package is interesting because. It's actually one that shouldn't be too hard to estimate the value of. If I recall, it didn't have, you know, performance targets that demanded that he like, you know, get Amazon's revenue to like, you know, whatever, multi-billion dollar number. It didn't have like, you know, stock price targets even as well. I think it just has stock that he gets as he stays at the company and leads the company. And, that one is not hard to, to estimate, and so they're sort of complaining that they they gave him, they they identified a number of shares that they were going to award him over the next few years, and they and they're merely saying in that statement that he will get those shares over the next few years if he stays at the company. So I don't really know what their beef is. The other problem is that, and you've probably seen this and maybe been on one of the people that have to, that have had to describe this is that companies will often say, well, look, we've given this executive a huge amount of stock um, and we're not going to give him any more stock for the next five years, right? And and so they say to journalists like me, please don't say it's a one-year award. I'm like, okay, I'll make that clear. But what you'll also find in the proxy is a sentence that is much mushier than that, that says something like, currently we don't intend to award this executive you know any (laughs) more equity in the next five years and we know that and often they don't just to be fair to the companies often they do they they don't offer they don't issue more stock but there's plenty of cases where they come back and said you know what often when the stock price is slumped here's some new stock before that five years is up, and so those are the, that's the sort of language that I will look for, and then take it back to the company and say, look, you know, it's clear that you could give this guy more stock, you know, and I'm going to put that in the piece, and then there's usually some like you know discussion about that
0: and a little grumbling, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Can we, Peter, go back to the Mustang just real quickly? What was it about that that was it became a model for other companies. You said that
2: Well, this is, this is this is a good question, Gary, because on paper it seems to be from one perspective on compensation, the perfect alignment of the CEO's interests with shareholders' right. interests. So if if he gets the full payout on that award, in the process of getting there. Stockholders will also have been massively enriched. And that was the case. Anyone you know holding Tesla stock in 2018, you know, the year in which you got that package will be sitting on huge gains today, just like Musk. Not me,
1: not so that's me. the argument <laughs> for me, why,
2: <laughs> right. right. So, so that's the reason that's the argument for why it works. The critique is that fine, do that, but like why so much stock? Why, why did you give him that number of shares? Why not give him half that number of shares? I think when I wrote the piece, um, I, I looked at the value of the shares that he would have gotten and I think Tesla's stock price was quite a bit lower then, and I valued it at 60 billion dollars worth of stock and this gets back to the whole issue with like SEC filings, which you know we, we, we might want to get into a bit, is that and, and and your listeners should know that that a lot often these numbers, these big numbers are effectively estimates of what the compensation will, will be worth because they don't actually know how much stock the CEO will end up getting because he or she may not hit certain targets or the stock price might not go to a certain level. Anyway, that gives them a lot of leeway to value um, the, the the compensation. Back in uh, 2018, Tesla valued that package at like two point something billion dollars. Right, It ended up being right. worth well north of 60. That shows you that, yes. Like you, like you say, Mike, these packages can be worth nothing, but they can also be worth many multiples of what the company said at the asset.
1: Yeah, Peter, has it been your experience that you have a sense that some boards or some compensation committees are like some professors? You know, some are easy graders, some are tough graders. So maybe that in, in, in some of these, maybe the bar isn't set as high than, than in others?
2: I mean, it really varies. Sometimes you see a package in your jaw drops. You're like, this is incredibly easy to earn. Like there was <laughs> one in the in the survey that I wrote about this year, um, a CEO at a cosmetics firm, which is kind of struggling, called Koti. And her name was the CEO, is And she just got like, you know, over $200 million worth of stock for basically staying at the company for three years. That's all, you know, that's all she had to do. And that and I'm, I'm wondering what the board was doing there. Because you would think that, like, if it's a turnaround situation, you'd have something in there that would, like, hold hold it to account. But they, but they didn't. I think it's also a dance, Mike. Because basically, you don't want this to look like you're giving the CEO us, uh, you know, money for nothing, effectively. Because you could face an embarrassing say on pay vote. You know, it could become part of a campaign by shareholders, maybe even activist investors to start applying pressure. But on the other hand, you don't want to lose that CEO if he or she is doing a good job. And you also have like the market peers to, to, to worry about. So you have to pay competitively, but somewhere they try to walk the fine line. And uh, and so that's, that's interesting to watch how they do that.
0: You know, and Peter and Michael uh, understand this um, or relate to it, I guess. You know, after the first of the year, every year, you start thinking about, at least I do, baseball and spring and all of those other kinds of things. But you also start thinking about SEC language, proxy language, all the things that go into explaining these compensation packages, which are highly complex in many cases. And I can't tell you how many hours, you know, CCOs and the teams, lawyers, HR leaders, consultants, directors, spend many many hours laboring over the ceo pay statements and and proxy language you mentioned the sec filings that provide the rationale for the pay being awarded so you're on the reading end you're on the receiving end of all of this work peter right and do you think the product of this work is understandable readable persuasive in other words are these filings Uh, done well and do they deliver the messages that they are intended to deliver
2: well in terms of like are they comprehensible to the lay reader absolutely not you know (laughs) it's you would have to have you'd have to be pretty well qualified in accounting compensation terminology a lot of stuff to understand it. Now, some of that's unavoidable. This is just complex stuff. And so, you know, I would say, you know, you could probably do a lot better job of making this much easier to understand. But the main readers of this are not going to be, you know, just regular people who just have a mild interest in business. It's going to be people who who really want to, like, get in deep and understand all the moving parts. So, You know, if I if I was, you know, if I was running a company, I would say, look, this is not good enough. Can you kind of like make it much easier for the lay reader? Um, You know, because for journalists like me as well, I mean, what what I do and this is how I report this story each year. And it's one of the reasons I like it is that the great thing about my editors when they write this story is they give me a lot of time because they know that the best nuggets simply come from reading the proxies. And so I do appreciate that companies put important details in the proxies. I I know they have to, because if it came out that this key feature wasn't in there, they would get in real trouble. Um, But there was one this year where I was reading it and I had to read it like three or more than many times, took it to the company took it to all sorts of experts to make sure I was reading it right, because I couldn't believe it. And it was the package for, you know, Ariel Emanuel at Endeavor, who was effectively able to earn unlimited stock. And I couldn't believe it. And I kept going back to the PR person. I'm like, look, I'm going to write that there's no limit on this guy's pay package. Am I going to get in any trouble for that? And he was like, no, I think you've got it right. So um, that gave me Confidence to to go ahead with that particular section of the piece, so yeah, there could be a lot more work done to make them comprehensible and persuasive. Uh, I that one. Look, I'm not in the business of being persuaded, but I and so like it's not like I'm kind of a shareholder that wants to believe in the company, but I don't think I can remember a time when I'm like. Yes, you persuaded me that that person deserved that or deserves this. I understand the rationale, like with Musk's yeah. thing. Um, but, you know, like if everyone, if he, if, he'd, if Stockholder does well, then then he does well. And that's basically mostly it when you when you read, read these things. That's what they're trying to tell you. It is interesting to read all the different new things that come in, like when they have a new operating metric they want to follow and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, like they are... I can see how they make good efforts to be persuasive, but when the numbers are so big, you're like, well,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know. and, and Peter, can I just follow up on, on that? The, one of the things that we always found challenging at GE, from a media standpoint, the readers of what we were writing, of course, is that different media news outlets have different methods for calculating total comp. So in Bloomberg, you might see one number for the CEO and the Times, you might see another in the journal, you might see another. And we were it was sometimes frustrating because it was difficult to explain to people why these numbers were all over the map. And one of the things I always hoped for was that the news media, the business news media would come up with a consistent way of valuing CEO comp.
2: Well, well, I mean, look, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I generally like the Equilar survey that we get is because like 99% of the time, they are just taking the total compensation figure out of the summary compensation table in the proxy report, right? So that is the safest way to do it. Like, just take it straight from the proxy. If everyone did that, we'd be fine. Now, Equilar does have this kind of thing where they, like, you know, they take out some very small items sometimes. It's kind of to do with pension valuation or something like that. Um, And it's often not large in the scheme of things. But, look, the safest thing is just take it straight out of the summary compensation table, and then you're not going to have any... Arguments with the company, and you're not gonna, and you're not gonna have to explain any adjustments you've made because you haven't made any adjustments.
1: Yeah, and then the SEC kind of has created a body of knowledge for to drive some of that consistency. Albeit, we still have issues like we were talking about before in terms of timing and the like. Now, mm-hmm. now, now, Peter, one of the things that, that that interests me is the degree to which investors are increasingly uh, interested in executive compensation and, and and a few big companies, I mean Intel, JP Morgan Chase, Gary's old company, uh, GE have lost shareholder votes around proposed CEO compensation packages. Uh, on most things you know when you're talking about a proxy vote these companies are getting 90% plus uh, approval on their proposals or rejection of outside uh, shareholder proposals but what's going on here
2: that's a really good question <laughs> right. because okay so let's just think about say on pay votes for a second they're obviously non-binding right they can just pay mm-hmm. And so I, I say to myself, so why does the CEO care what happens with that vote? And then I sort of try to put myself in a CEO's shoes. And generally what I'm thinking is that, you know, they have to answer to the board. If it's a good board, they'll, they'll know they have to be prepared for that board. And on all sorts of things, you know, how they're running the business and things like that, there will be, you know, theoretically tough conversations about compensation during the year. And the CEO will have to be prepared for those and able to like, I think, you know, make a case for being paid X, Y, Z. And correct me if I'm wrong in how the process works, I'm assuming there's some sort of discussion. I don't I don't know, maybe they, they are presented with a fait accompli and they just can't really do much about it. Um, so, but here's my point, I'm kind of meandering here, that I think a CEO, thinks in the long term. And the last thing you want is to build up like a bad relationship with the board or a difficult relationship with the board and and then have public things um, existing, like SAO and Payboat, where shareholders have disapproved of something that you've done or got. And I think that's why when I scratch my head and say, well, look, they can more or less get paid, you know, mostly what they want or expect, Uh, Shareholders can disapprove of it, but they can just stay in their posts and carry on, kind of like Jamie Dimon or or the guy at Intel. But over time, it can be, um, you know, a weakness and it can lead to your downfall. That's what I would say.
0: This episode and other episodes of The Crux are made possible by Boston University's College of Communication, or COM, as it's known. COM is BU's home for the study of advertising, emerging media, film and television, journalism, media sciences, and public relations. At COM, we seek to build understanding among people through better communication. Find out more at www.bu.edu forward slash com.
1: Yeah, and, and, and I think that the normal practice, as I've seen it through the years, is that if there is a shareholder proposal that wins or they knock down something that management has put in the proxy, uh, the, the tendency is... Well, we need, there's, so there's some right. explaining to do, right? And we need to at least show that we're taking right. um, some
2: steps in a given direction. And Intel did that. Intel did that um, or, you know, laid that out in the proxy. They, they um, you know, they made efforts to do that this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- th- another thing that kind of interests me in the space of, of when we think about compensation in some ways, in terms of disclosure being regulated, the SEC regulation that requires uh, public companies to disclose the ratio of CEO pay uh, to employee pay uh, went into effect in 2017. And I remember when it was all being debated even ahead of that. But what we've learned in time since that is that the pay gap between CEO compensation and -and rank-and-file employees is large and growing. So, five years in, has the SEC reporting requirement led to any real change in compensation policies?
2: Yeah, that's a a really good question. Um, And, you know, you could point to that and say, well, it doesn't seem to to be the case. Um, But the people who supported it, uh, w- would say it was just one tool that we're giving to shareholders so that they can compare the size of the pay with something concrete um, and that's up to them to make that decision once they have this piece of information along with all the other things and it I remember like this was one thing that, that that companies hated doing at the outset they they would do whatever they could to delay it they were you know like oh well our fiscal year is this you know like and things like that. <laughs> and and it, you can and there's all sorts of like ways in which you can, you know, tweak it a bit. You don't use company, you know, people all your employees when you measure the median employee and 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 they really don't like putting it out there. And the SEC it took forever to formalize it and get it out there as well. I mean, it was it was part of the Dodd-Frank Act that was passed in, you know, 20, um, 2010. And in the companies complain that it was hard to calculate. And I'm like, how is this hard to calculate? And because you've got one number and you've got your employee list and you just like put medium into Excel and oh, there it is. And the great thing about this is that this median employee, it's not just a number, this median employee actually exists. So it's always been my dream to find the median employee and say like, what do you think (laughs) of your CEO's pay? You know, but no company is...
1: Yeah. no company has ever
2: actually. presented me with their median employee. I mean, maybe that was yeah.
0: that was probably me at GE. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, yeah, but the right. The interesting thing <laughs> is that
2: the median employee this year in the survey, the median median employee, earned like ninety two thousand dollars, and I'm like, well, that's that's not a bad bad wage i mean it's still a, a tiny fraction of what the median yeah. ceo is getting but the but but um it shows you that if you take you know the top 100 com- the top i guess 200 companies in in the Equilar survey uh, the workers in that group you know on a medium basis are pretty well paid
1: yeah and and, and that may be because of what they're excluding too right i mean I, i'm assuming that, that oh yeah that's I'm,
2: but don't forget the don't forget the median yeah. is a good number here. Yeah. It's not a it's not yeah. an average. It's a good number for yeah. finding the midpoint. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, Peter, I I uh, before we leave the compensation topic, um, I was really interested in your comment about you're not in the business of being persuaded. Right. Right. And and because and it's a it's a good reminder to those of us who were involved in this kind of work and and still are we're writing for you when we do these sec filings, but we're also writing obviously for your readers. Right. Right. The people who um, are investors or activists or the folks who are CEO and compensation experts. And the, the perception is of course that CEOs just make too much. You know, I was talking to a former CEO recently and we were talking about the Musk package and that ceo said well nobody's worth 60 billion dollars <laughs> right right the, the the issue isn't how we express it it's right. the total amount uh the amount of of compensation that ceos are receiving whether it's a headline or whether it's reality do you think ceos and boards have just said the perception issue is something we can deal with we're more we're more concerned with retaining a good CEO when we get one. In other words, the retention, the HR issue, the leadership issue, they understand there's a perception issue, but they just need to keep these folks.
2: You know, great, great way of describing it, Gary. Look, when I say I'm not in the business of being persuaded, what, I'm, what I meant was I, I don't have to arrive at a, at a decision. I'm not going to say, okay, that package right. is worth it. I am absolutely in the business of listening right? I'm absolutely in the business of taking on what companies say and processing it and weighing it. But like at the end of the day, I don't have to come up with a judgment. That's kind of what I was trying to say badly. But on your question, I think that, I think interestingly, for the most part in established older companies that have, you know, boards that have, you know, got better over the years, they have shareholders have gotten used to their businesses and they understand like that they're not going to be the fastest growing companies in the world and things like that. There is this understanding that you do have to watch the top line. You can't just give the you know the, your CEO mm-hmm. a huge package and get away with it. And so they, in that, and that, I would say that would be most of the S and P five hundred. Uh, and that doesn't mean that the, the top those big mm-hmm. headline numbers aren't large and they won't cause regular people to say that's a ton of money. They absolutely do. But then there's this other bunch of companies where they have just taken off the shackles and paid their CEOs or created packages where they could earn astronomical amounts. But they're generally still not quite the rule yet. I mean, they influence other companies. So that was the point of the piece. But we're not quite there yet. Where every, we're not there mm-hmm. in a place where everyone's doing those crazy packages. And so so that's that's what I would say that. So like what you'll find is that they're trying in these a lot of these companies. They're youngish companies that are trying to create the same sort of situation that a founder might be in. So if you think about when Facebook goes public and Zuckerberg has like a you know a large stake in Facebook and Facebook massively increases in value, he's going to become a multi-billionaire, right? so you know if you've got a young company and they bring in a ceo say at the early stage in year one or two after going public or as it goes public they feel and this is like you know this is where it gets into a debate that they should give them a founder like package and and so suddenly you know they look like they've got like you know an 800 million dollar package you know 1.2 billion dollar package or something but what they've done is just say look we want to give you a significant size chunk of the company, and if that if that if those shares then increase in value, you're going to be very very rich. You wouldn't get that, obviously, at say I don't know Bank of America, right? Because you don't just hand over like one percent or right, half right. percent of the company to the CEO when he or she joins. You just don't do that.
1: Yeah, you, you know one of the things that you, you kind of alluded to earlier, and we spent a lot of time talking about compensation being linked to shareholder value performance on share price. Um, But increasingly, there are more operational metrics that are part of these payout packages, too. And, And I wonder what your perspective is of that, particularly i know that as uh, you know we live in a in a time and place where a lot of people are talking about esg a lot of people talking about environment and so we now are seeing operational targets to be met in order for certain payouts to take place associated with performance on environment, performance on things like safety and even governance issues. Just wonder, you know, is, is am I right? Is that a trend and, and and what are we likely to see going forward?
2: I mean, that's a great question. I don't I haven't done enough measurement to know whether or not it's a trend. I wrote a story in 2020 soon after you know the murder of George Floyd about efforts at companies to tie ceo pay to metrics uh involving underrepresented groups in the company and things like that and uh what i found was that utilities <laughs> because they're like quasi almost like public you know not publicly owned like they're like public utilities (laughs) have had all these performance issues in in their pay packages for years um and you'll start like you say I do think we're seeing more of them but I'm not certain and they are really interesting because there is a lot of difference between what companies expect their CEOs to do in these metrics like um I think it's really interesting when you have like media companies do it for audience levels. I think um, I think that might be the case. At I, I could be wrong. At at some of them, mm-hmm. and the question then becomes, how hard are they to hit? And you know that then becomes a real judgment call because I guess what you can go back and say it's like if the CEO has to get. Operating earnings to a certain level, I think. I guess the thing you do is you go back as a journalist and say, "Well, does that increase? You know, is it is it more or less in line with what's achieved, been achieved in the previous years, or is it a real stretch? You know, there's it's actually fun to look at those because you can, you know, there's there's a, there's a track record that you can see. So yeah, I think there are more metrics, um, and but sometimes, and this is interesting with the with the diversity one um they don't really define in the proxy kind of what they're expected to 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 do sufficiently and so you're scratching your head and not knowing whether they've actually reached it or here's the other thing they wrap it into a in a basket of like slightly you know thing and you don't know what's inside the basket but but the board does and so you don't really know what they've done on a certain slice of that of of that basket or that certain part of that basket rather
1: so Peter, we talked a lot today about uh, compensation of uh, executives of the CEOs, and and clearly, your your reporting covers a, lo- a whole array of different issues. Uh, you know, uh, I, I looking through and scanning some of the articles that you'd worked on, you've worked on everything from the shakeup at CNN to prospective airline mergers, uh, corporate profits in the midst of economic headwinds, and diversity in the boardroom. Um, Before you leave, share with us what you see as the most important business stories of 2022 and and maybe some that you have your eye on. I
2: think the great thing about covering companies is that they give you the detail that you don't get in macroeconomic reports. Sometimes, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but they give you like just wonderful detail that you can use to not just discern where the economy is headed, but also Mm -hmm. tell the story of where the economy is headed. And I think that's the really big story of 2022, is like, is there gonna be a slowdown? How bad is the slowdown gonna be? Who's it going to affect? And what does it look like on the ground? And there's a human story to tell there, but there's also a very important corporate story to tell there, because this is one weird economy. This is like, we. I mean, like you guys. I mean, we've had to report on low inflation for the last, you know, a low, the corporates have had to operate in a low inflation environment for like since like the '90s, right? And that has completely changed, and and that's kind of interesting from going back to CEO pay because if you think about inflation what a lot of companies do is they just charge more for their products right that's what inflation is that's how inflation keeps building is because that's how it becomes a spiral because it's not just you know you and me asking for more money to keep up with inflation it's also companies charging more because they have to cover the cost of their inputs right and so what you have when you look at like revenues going up by 10 percent and if inflation is nine percent the revenues really only got one percent but you know what If there's an operating metric that said um, revenue had to go up by 10%, they've done that just through inflation, you know, so like, and there's like, and that's going back to conversation, but there's kind of like even more important things going on where like, it's just a total headache for, for corporate leadership. And I think that's a really big story. I think that's the one that I think is, is going to be a story for a while, not just this year, but next year, especially if the Fed, um, you know, really does uh, jack up rates aggressively.
0: Well, Peter, this is uh, fascinating. And and thank you so much for taking your time to join us. Peter Evis, New York Times Companies and Markets Reporter. You can follow his coverage in the New York Times or follow him directly on Twitter. I'm going to get this right now, Peter. You're on Twitter yeah. at, at UWS Geezer, right. U-W-S-G-E-E-Z-E-R, Geezer, Geezer. And uh, so thank you so much. Big fan of your reporting. Okay.
2: Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Mike.
0: Enjoyed it. Yes, enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Crux and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.